These tools are for you to use. These tools are for you to use. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I am a comedian who survived a coma, and now I've got questions. And I'm talking to guests like my guest this week, illustrator, friend, Bianca Diaz. Bianca is part of a book project I'm very excited about. She illustrated the upcoming book, See You Soon, which was written by Miriam Kaba, a famous, you know, I don't know if famous is the right word, but a noteworthy popular abolitionist educator, organizer, author, Miriam Kaba, who wrote the New York Times bestseller, We Do This Till We Free Us, in 2021. In 2022, on March 1st, to be exact, they, together, are publishing See You Soon, which is a book about a little girl whose mother goes to jail and their love. And Bianca and I talk about prisons talk about difficult topics like abolition, the prison industrial complex, and also whiteness, the concept of whiteness. Bianca is a a white Latina, and we talk a lot about that. Uh, You can hear even more of that conversation. It's basically, the full conversation is like twice as long, and it is on my Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr, get the full conversation, just the raw audio there. You can also get the regular after shows that we do. Uh, This is your after show with fellow comedians and previous guests, Claire Favret and Megan Strickland. We debrief every episode, and it gets wild and divergent. You can get all that stuff on the Patreon. If you're not able or willing yet to commit to that level, you can write a review of the show in your podcast app. You can also simply subscribe if you haven't yet. Would love that. Also, if you have been listening a while or this is your first time and you hear something you like or something that feels missing, if you're interested in some aspect, basically if there are questions that I'm not asking on this podcast, if you're like, you know what, I have a new segment idea, I, w- I know what I want Dave to ask the next guest, then email me. This is Mar at gmail.com and I would love to hear your questions and maybe I'll ask them on a future show. So, that said, please enjoy my conversation right now with the wonderful Bianca Diaz. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat Are other people, I feel like I've come at you like really hard with how stoked I am about you. Like, just because I didn't know anything about this shit until, you know, a year and a half ago. And now yeah. it's like the one of the worlds I feel like I'm most immersed in are other people as stoked or you're like Dave's coming on like kind of intense no. with this. Oh no, no, it's nice. I it is interesting because I mean Miriam's such an incredible person. It's cool that people know her and know her work. Like I think she's like doesn't care for the limelight at all, which I totally right. understand and respect. Um but 
it is weird no like people being like wow congratulations it's like oh this feels different than other books nobody (laughs) not that people don't care but right it's not a i don't know it's like i and i understand i don't i don't care like it's just cool that that people know what it is and are excited for a book that i'm making that's a nice feeling well it's also like i mean when the author right? That's how it would be. You're the illustrator. She's the author. She's the author. Yeah. Yeah. So when the author had a fucking New York times bestseller the year before, it makes sense that it would like raise the profile a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's that book is so amazing too. I just love all of the work that she does and the organizing that she does is so important. And I, yeah, I feel lucky to get to work with her on that for sure. It's so interesting because like I've obviously like have noticed your work has been about community and like Pilsen, especially for like so long. And with my like unpoliticized, unradicalized self, when we like first met, it was just like, oh, cool. This is like what Bianca does. And then being like, oh, my God, like you were familiar with like abolitionist shit for so long before um was there did you have were those workshops with Miriam the PIC stuff or the no selves to defend maybe it was you said but was that your first did you have like firsthand experience of incarceration in like extended family or in the neighborhood or anything before that or was that kind of your first like deep dive into it yeah, I had um, very limited experience, like so, like um, someone in my family had been uh, incarcerated at one point, but I was really young, so I didn't really know too much. But I knew that it had happened and it was like um, juvenile detention. So I knew that it had happened, but mm. I didn't really um, reach out to them. I have this memory that they like, Either I, tr- I think I traced like a Cinderella drawing for them and sent it, but I can't remember if that's real. I, I should ask. Them. But no, I had very limited experience. And like one of my, someone from my grade school had had to deal with it also. And it was just like a very peripheral understanding. Like not nothing, like I still don't feel that I truly understand what it's like because I haven't had to deeply deal with it. Um, I feel like my first real even, thinking about it was because of my friend when I was in college she she was doing like a dual degree program at Brown and RISD mm. so she was doing like art education and um like illustration and she was like really radical and like learning about all these things um and she like kind of introduced it to me for the first time I was like, oh wow like thinking about it and then it was just like this nice um coincidence that I got to work with Miriam but yeah I feel like I felt like when I started those workshops about the PIC that I was just like such an idiot <laughs> like I didn't know anything and I, I think I probably like offended people with some questions I asked or like things like that and like I feel like everybody just comes to understand at their own time and some of us are privileged to not know about it yeah in a more deeper way so 
But I feel like offending people with questions or risking offending people with questions is like part of the whole thing. It certainly seems like part of Miriam's thing to like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck up at first. Exactly. So she was, I just am grateful that she was always like cool with me and like, liked me and like, yeah, you're allowed to like fail and like, that's okay. And you're not like cast out or whatever. I would like you to paint your hell. A custom <laughs> hell designed for you. Oh God. Oh. A custom hell. Heaven is so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, designed for me. I mean, no family, no friends, no light, not getting to see anyone like no art <laughs> like i don't know i want to picture hell i picture it like burning and fire and brimstone like okay that. just strong in my head because did you grow up like catholic scary. yeah i i'm not super catholic yeah we went to church for like two weeks and then my mom was like do you guys want to go and i was like yeah and my mother was like no and i was like all right <laughs> I only wanted to go because I liked catechism and I got to meet the kids in my neighborhood. And like, Mm. that was the only reason I liked it. Catechism um, is the class where you like study for confirmation. I don't know. I think it's just like Sunday school. Okay. Okay, cool. It could be, but I didn't stay long enough to learn anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just knew you liked being there, not like what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But my grandmother is super Catholic. So there's saints, grew up with saints all over her house. And like, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how, because I, if someone in my family has seen a saint, so I believe it's real. So I don't know where exactly, I don't believe in like the rote religion, mm-hmm. but I believe that there's something, like I believe in God, but I believe in like the universal forces and like a, big oneness after being returned to the one whole or whatever but I don't and then I don't know where saints work into that but I believe what I've heard so I don't know (laughs) so believing in saints as is believing in saints kind of like believing in ghosts I don't know I do believe in ghosts also sure I think it's just like energy that is like needs to be cleansed or like is still kicking around on earth for whatever reason, but there's other planes. I don't know. To me, it just makes sense, but I think it is probably like, I guess a saint is like a person who is really good in life. Mm -hmm. And then, but they have to do some miracles too. You can't just be good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) They have to. And I think it's more than one miracle. I think you have to do like two or three posthumous miracles which i don't know how that system works exactly but wow. yeah yeah i have i i should study that more but yeah i believe in ghosts i believe in spirits so but you uh, said that the the flames in hell don't really are not that scary no because i like the little nicky version <laughs> that's really fun <laughs> wait i've actually i like i'm familiar with Little Nicky as like a character and a phenomenon, but I've actually not seen Little Nicky. Really? Yeah. You should if you're doing this podcast about. Afterlife. Yeah, that's true. You're tr- you're right, actually. Yeah. 
I like how they show it, but yeah, they make hell look fun. Um, cause how, what, what like, about it? Cause people who are bad want to be there and they're having fun with the devil. Like if you're bad, wouldn't you want to be, but I guess they don't show like the people who really hate it, but it just looked like the, the father devil is like nice to his sons, the <laughs> like little Nikki is one of them. So it doesn't seem so bad. Um, I don't know. I don't really think about hell too much because I don't feel like I'm going to go there. (laughs) (laughs) No respect. I love that. (laughs) So we already kind of touched on this. What do you hope happens when you die? I hope that I get to see my family again and like my dogs who have died. And have you read that book or seen the movie with Robin Williams, What Dreams May Come? Oh my God. You're literally, I think the third guest I've had on the show to reference what dreams may come. I've never seen it. So I'll just have a list of movies oh my now God. from you. I know you're right. You're right. I really need to, but what aspect of what dreams may come is um, evocative for you? I like uh, how they just show heaven and the book is more in depth, but I also had some issues with it. But what I liked about it was, um, Oh, you read the like book. In, I, I, yeah. I also read the book after the movie. Um, yeah. I saw You're the like, movie when I was young. I love this so much. I need to read the book. Yeah. Well, I liked it a lot. I don't know. Yeah. The afterlife and having that stuff in dreams that all fascinates me. So it was like, interesting and yet you were it. so afraid to come on the show. Uh, because I'm shy. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> so, so what, okay. So, what dreams may come? Sorry, I, okay. I interrupted. Um, it, well, they show Robin Williams. The part that I loved as a kid was his version of heaven is like this painting that he had in his office as a doctor. And um, it's like his heaven when he dies is he's in an oil painting. So he's like sliding through paint fields of flowers and it's okay. so beautiful. The visual effect looked better back then, but it's, it holds up a little, but it was just so cool. And everyone's has their, and in the book, everyone has their own heaven and they form like their clothes in their house slowly from like it becomes like a a manifestation of themselves which i love that idea because that's what to me a building is and a house is um and and like and you can visit each other but everyone has their own like place and then okay so they're not separate they're kind of separate it seems like but if you want to be together you can okay I don't want it to be separate, but also there's Heaven University, which intrigues me a lot because I like school. So I, I really like that aspect. Wait, and that's then, in What Dreams May Come or that's another movie? That's in the book. Oh, okay. okay. Not, not in the movie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't think. Yeah. And then um, what was interesting also was that like closer to hell, there's like, you know, there's middle ground. So like it gets uglier because he has to travel to hell to save his wife. Um, and so it gets like gated communities, like, and like mm. kind of ugly, but there's like guards at the door and they're like, he's like, why would they even want to live here if heaven is so beautiful? And they're like, they think this is heaven. And they're like in these like gross looking places, but it has gates to keep others out, mm. which I thought was really, uh, 
obviously a parable for real life. Right, right. Tell me about buildings because you like like making art out of buildings a lot. So what is yeah. it? What you 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 said that like buildings are how did you say it like a representation of yourself or like what is it you like about because they're they're like to me my initial thought is like oh architecture is interesting but a building like a house like it's just like a thing like why is it interesting so why is it interesting yeah, I've been thinking about houses for a long time. My mom's also always like, why do you always think about these houses? And I'm like, I don't know. Like the one we grew up, I grew up in, in Pilsen, was just so cool. It was just like a beautiful building with like Czech architecture, just like all the, just like old and brick and like, like they actually cared and they made like the window like top things like ornate with like a little mm-hmm. flower or squirrels in them in a very specific way and strange shapes that you never see anymore it's just like a love that was put into it to make it last and look beautiful and make you feel good to be there but it was like the landlord was um from Czechoslovakia I think before it was the Czech Republic or whatever um but he was like a really nice guy and I think let a lot of people live there for cheaper and it was just like a really cool building with like twists and turns and it was really old and kind of crappy but I really liked it um because it just I don't know all the old paint it just felt really old I like old things and like seeing all the history and the different people that live there all the different like stories um there was like two artists in the building who had their studios there um and I guess it's just like when you see, I love going to friends' houses because you see like what their life is like so much beyond what you see of them at school. Like when you're young, like you see, oh, this is where they go home to, or like this is how they like the things that they have, the little, I don't know, like cups or plates, and like this is how their mm-hmm. furniture looks, or they have these kinds of um, curtains. And um, I just feel like you learn so much about someone from their space and it's like the facade. Uh, I, I also kind of think it's like, I went to a school in Chicago. It was like a mag or it was a classical school. So it was, yeah. like, it was like, you had to test into it and it could like get kids from all over the city. So it was like kids from like far North far South where I lived, which was near the school, like more, I don't know, whatever. Um, and just seeing like how I don't know everyone's house was so different and like it just yeah um and then also like not I think my fascination with Pilsen houses also was like I actually rarely set foot in other people's houses in Pilsen besides like my family who lived there um but I didn't have any friends in the neighborhood really because I went to school outside And my parents always put me in like programs kind of outside the neighborhood because I think their experience growing up was like sometimes rough and there was like still is and was a lot of gang violence. So they always like sent me like my dad was a stay at home dad. So he always drove me to other places for like day camp or like um, which was like church was the only thing we did that was like in the neighborhood. So I was like, oh, I like like meeting other kids. Yeah. Or like this other program I did called Yolo Kali, which is still a really amazing program. Um, get to meet other kids, but yeah. So it was like 
I only ever saw the facades and it was just like, you could see in the window sometimes, like, what are other people living like here? Like, I don't have friends, but I can like kind of glimpse through the open doorway, like, oh, what's their life like kind of stuff. But yeah. yeah. Well, it's clearly still so related to, yeah, it's not like a scientific interest in these things. It's not like a flat, like, oh, yes, I love the ornate, whatever you call them, cornices or whatever the fuck the window trimmings are because the squirrels represented this and blah, blah. It's like, oh, I like them because the because there was love put into them so it's all like back related to the people and yeah, it does it seem yeah, like I see them as people yeah yeah it seems like wait you see the houses themselves as people or just like products kind of, of people really oh they have like personality to me and i like to capture every little weird thing about them so what kind of say i necessarily personify them like oh yeah Although one time I was like in my children's book class in college and I was like <laughs> trying to think of like a fairy tale and I was like uh, making a house with legs and arms and I, I was like, this is so stupid. And I like made fun of myself and like called it up. <laughs> it was like Cinder Blocka instead of Cinderella. And it was like, this is never going to live outside my stupid sketch. So dumb. Yeah. So if you were making a house in the afterlife, what would the character of the house you made be? Oh, um, brick. I love brick. I think because I grew up and I'm very nostalgic for it. Grew up in one. Um, Probably like one of those Pilsen houses, but also with a lot of twists and turns and like three floors at least. And I would want to live on the third or fourth floor because I don't like living lower mm-hmm. down but what kind um, of character would it feel like like friendly and like constantly unfolding itself and having hidden spots like in it and like so kind of like in it treasure kind of like adventurous um I don't know yeah I don't personify it that hard but yeah, yeah. the more the feeling of it um and yeah, like I have dreams where suddenly there's a room I found in my house that I never knew before. And it's an enormous ballroom or like a aerobics, like like, like a <laughs> gymnastics place with like mats all over the floor. And it's like enormous. I'm like, how did I not know? This was yes. Oh, my God. That's so it's such a like imaginative. I mean, it is such a like in all the best ways, like child's vision of the world that you're like portraying here just everything is a door into oh i see through their open door what is their life like oh what if there is something around me it's just like this attunement to magic and like what could happen at any given moment that feels like very especially for someone working in children's books feels like a very powerful skill to have Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Hey, it's Dave. I'm not talking to the guest right now. I just want to let you know, I intentionally construct these episodes to allow my guests to speak as much as possible. But if you enjoy the perspective of mine that does come through in this podcast and you want to hear more from me, 
please subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's called Hella Immaculate. There is a link in the show notes that you can click and sign up right away. You can also go to my website. This is davemar.com. What you'll get is every week an essay from me and basically a mood board of links, sometimes mutual aid fundraisers and music that I recommend. It's like we're in a conversation and hopefully I'm sharing cool stuff with you. I'm either your cool friend or your slightly anxious friend, probably both. Anyway, if you like hearing from me and you want to hear more, subscribe to Hello Immaculate. Thanks. And now back to the conversation. Let's do funeral planning. What What things do you know you would want at your funeral? Things you definitely wouldn't. Like what aspects of traditional for you funerals do you want? things that you hate things you're like oh it's got to be this instead or you're like oh i'm fine with it just being default mexican catholic funeral so i've been to a few funerals in the past years like past 10 years and they've been open casket i don't know if that's a catholic tradition um i don't think i would want that but it is good to see its finality but it's kind of scary um so I don't think I would want that I I could probably cremate it I don't want to take up earth space I just want to be like yeah I was here it's like fine just remember me like yeah in your mind and how you do because nobody really goes to those graves it's just like so much this sounds bad but it's just like so much space that could be used otherwise but I don't know to each their own um, but I wouldn't want that. And I guess I like, I always feel kind of guilty for liking the funerals a little bit because I get to see all my family and everybody that knew this person right. and everybody's mixing in a way that would never happen otherwise. And then there's always like, oh, why are they here? Like an uncomfortable thing happening. <laughs> you got, you got to like watch the door. Like <laughs> they're not allowed. Like. <laughs> that's so I I don't know I'm fascinated by that kind of stuff. I would definitely want there to be food. I would like for it to be a party, but if you die young, that's pretty sad. So yeah. I hope I don't die young. But if I die old and like I'm good, then I would hope that they would like party and like there would be food and like live music would be fun. And see, I don't want a casket, but I like the idea of pallbearers. <laughs> like I like. <laughs> the family having to hold the casket together maybe you can just have the poles and like a (laughs) tiny little box with your ashes so it's easy on the it's like light too but they still have to participate too yeah there you go yeah maybe i'll do that why do you like the idea of pallbearers because I love how it looks and I love the gloves and I love seeing my family members like hold it together. I just think that, you know, there's so, I guess I really like ritual and there's so few left. And I just think it's like um, a beautiful image and like a beautiful moment or like action to do together. Carry someone who you love dearly, every, all the people that she I'm thinking of my grandmother um, mm-hmm. on my dad's side, like all her sons and nephews, like holding her up is just such a beautiful image. Yeah. Yeah. 
but yeah, if I died old, I wouldn't want people to be too sad. Just like have a good party and nobody has to pay for it. I'll somehow pay for it already or something like that. That would be cool. Are there aspects of your work? Like how much of your work do you care about living on after you or how much of why you make what you make is to have something to be remembered by? I mean, I feel like I would be lying if I said there was none of that. Like we all have an ego and sometimes I wish I didn't, but for sure I like my work to be out there for people to see it and like enjoy it. I feel like what I really want is for it to be useful to people, like so that they can, I don't know, use it to deal with whatever they're living right now. Um, and if I'm forgotten, I, I don't really care, but I do love that books can be eternal in a way. So I think I do care about that, but, um, I just love the artifact of a book. I think it's so cool. Yeah. Useful in a sense of, it sounds like providing comfort. Yeah. And like with the book that is coming out now with Miriam, it's like about a girl's mother who goes to prison and her like emotional, journey with it and how she deals with it I just want kids who are going through that to like not feel alone and to just feel like see another kid going through it I'm not really sure though I'm always worried that like is this even helpful I it's hard to know what is good but I'm just gonna keep trying like what what I just want like I really want my art to like help imagine how things could be different. And I also feel like that's dealing with how they are now and showing it in a real light, like just being honest about what it is. And then also imagining like, you know, like picturing a world without prisons, picturing a world with free healthcare, picturing a world with free education, or like where we invest in that. Like, I like trying to imagine those scenarios as already existing and then like trying to see them. That's so cool. I one of the things that I that really excited me about abolition when I first discovered it as an ideology was it was the imaginative part of it. It was like, oh, this isn't what you think about politics. This isn't some dry, you know, learning about policy, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, to me, it's exactly why I create. It's like to imagine the world differently but the thing that you're adding that's so cool that i actually never put together before it's like really like lighting me up right now is that part of imagining the world differently is showing it as clearly as we can how it is right now um I don't know why yeah. I had never considered that because it's like, oh no, it's got to be, you got to be thinking, you got to be thinking about the future. You got to be constantly, you know, if you don't have a solution for, ha- you know, the thing that you always yeah. hear from people who hate abolition, like, what are you going to do? How are you going to replace police or prisons? Like, if you don't have a solution, then you're not really doing the imaginative work. But it's like, no, just like taking care of people now, providing comfort, like, trusting that that will get that imagination going. Yeah. And I recently heard this podcast that I, you know, plug in another podcast. I don't know if that's kosher. <laughs> that's totally kosher. 
It's called One Million Experiments. I think yes, yes, had a part of it. Oh, mm-hmm. it's so good. And I just love it because they're talking about all the experiments that are happening now already in communities and just interviewing those people that are answers to like, what do we do without prisons? What do we do without this? Like, what do we do without that? Like, it, it, no, it's like, we don't need to imagine everything. It's already happening. People are already doing it. It's just right. unfunded. So if we like notice these things and put funding into it, like we can, like, it's already happening. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Like, I like that. And then also, yeah, like, yeah, showing things as they are. Cause when you don't see yourself, then you feel like a monster. You feel like you're a ghost or you don't exist. Like I like putting that in children's books also. And that's, um, yeah, I guess part of the whole thing about, the ego thing is like, I want people to know what Pilsen looks like, what it, it was like and what it was like for my parents and my grandparents. And like, just to show that we are here and we are like beautiful and important and like everything that we, that I've seen growing up is like strangely beautiful. And so I, I have some ego with wanting to like make that scene for sure. <laughs> What's your coma in the sense of, you know, that I was in this coma and things, it was, it was a big moment where like, I can kind of look back in my life and be like, oh, before this life was this way, I was this person after it feels kind of different. And that's not the only moment in my life like that. And I think a lot of people have like big and small moments like that. So it doesn't have to be epic. But what is a moment like that for you that feels like a moment of transformation where before you're one person, after you're another? I don't know. Like I was saying, I feel like I haven't had a big one of those yet. Right. It's been like an incremental change. I don't know. I feel like I don't, I feel like those are yet to come. And that's kind of why I'm scared of them. Like I know some people have to deal with that earlier in life. And I feel like I haven't had to do that yet. It's, it's interesting. Cause I, cause, cause the thing you're describing feels like privilege a little bit to me, Yeah, you know? Yeah. I definitely it's, feel like really privileged. Yeah. But it's interesting. Cause then I'm like, well, but anyone who like, if you are not a cis straight white dude, there's gotta be something related to a lack of those privileges that that is involved, but maybe that's me making that a standard experience or something. Like, obviously you can be privileged in all sorts of ways, but I don't know. Was it, was the, is there anything related to race or gender or anything like that, that kind of made you realize you were in a, or you became aware of other people's perception of you? I feel like there was no one instant because I feel like race has always been made apparent in my life since I was little. I never thought I was like, well, I don't know, maybe recently I'm like, oh, like, I guess I'm supposed to say I'm white. Like, I can do that. That makes sense. But that's not like a big epiphany. It's just like, oh, something to understand all the shitty, icky ways I've been feeling to learn like to help me understand what this world is and what's happening well what 
it doesn't have to be a big epiphany. Uh, I think big epiphanies are kind of overrated anyway, (laughs) but are you, when you say recently and the shitty ways you've been feeling, what are those shitty ways? Just guilt about not being more of a like traditional person of color or something, or feeling like you're part of the, like, what are, what are the shitty ways you've been feeling where you like, Oh, I guess I got to start calling myself white. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. That's been something that's changed how I'm feeling and looking just like looking at the world. Um, Like, I feel like just growing up, like most of my school was black when I went to my elementary school. So I always felt like aware of race and like that we're different. And like, I always deeply identify with being like Mexican American. But then also that was always very fraught because I, I don't know, I think it's a very common for a lot of Mexican-Americans is like you feel not enough American and not enough Mexican. So you're mm. kind of like, you know, shitty at being both. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then like, I never really felt discriminated. I, I, um, I felt like I couldn't really fit in with other Mexican kids because I wasn't around very many. I was like the, for most of that school until eighth grade, like the only Mexican kid, although there was like one or two other people who like transferred in or out. So I felt like I didn't really connect with my culture that much from friends, which is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, learning. And so then I was just always like, I don't know. I don't feel fully accepted by like the kids in my neighborhood. Cause I look different than a lot of people. Like I'm much wider than like other people. So I was kind of feeling weird about that. And like, it was kind of always been like a low hum through my life um, of like self-hatred kind of, but not like, I don't know. I'm not, I don't want pity or anything, but just like, yeah. why do I feel like this? And why do I feel different? And then just learning like from like finally, like from Instagram accounts for other people who are like white Colombians or like um, just people who are anti-racist educators, just like learning what it means to be like white and Latina, like, and then the privileges that come with that. And then just like, I don't know, understanding your experience and owning it. Um I feel like my mental health is in a much better place because I've been understanding that and trying to like own it and like unpack it and address it slowly through my art. Um, Cause that has always been like a major source of discomfort is just like understanding that. Cause like not everyone in my family's white, some people are Brown. So it's like a weird feeling of like, where do I stand and what do I need to own up to? And what can, what stories can I tell? as like an illustrator and a storyteller, like what is right or wrong? That has always made me feel like, um, I don't know if the word is dysphoria, but just like weird, not understanding. But yeah, so understanding that more now and taking like anti-racist courses and like what does it mean to be white in America? There's different kinds of white. And then just the main point is just trying to, take down white supremacy and so how can I be part of that and then I have a broad understanding from my own experience that I can't help do that um and 
yeah so I feel much better these days on that topic and it's so interesting that by like owning whiteness so to speak you feel better and less conflicted and guilty and just weird in all the ways and things that encompasses than rejecting whiteness you know you would think that being like I don't know. Owning whiteness almost sounds like, you know, an autobiography of any like right wing senator. You know what I mean? Like the title. Yeah, I know. And I get scared, too, that people think like, oh, you want to be white. You're you're also like have indigenous. It's like, no, I don't want to claim whiteness over that. Like I for most of my life would rather claim that side. But it's then it's like ignoring all the privilege that I have. So I feel like I must not that I want to. Well, and it's um, what you said about uh, what I related to abolition and about the things you want to do with your art. It's I am white, you know, it, that's what you're it's the acceptance and it's the addressing and admitting things as they are that can then help you imagine things differently. Yeah. Yeah, I think not knowing where you stand is uh, part of what leads to a lot of mental illness or not knowing who you are. Or that's why I want to just see my family for who they are. Just I feel like it help, would help me. And I, I feel like I've gotten to over the years. But um, yeah, I feel like if you don't know where you're from, then anybody could tell you who you are. Or then you can be used as like a tool in white supremacy and I don't want to do that so it's like claiming it like and I also like I'm white and indigenous but I present as white my skin is white like so I feel like I can talk to both experiences but also I haven't really talked about being white so I need to really I have a lot of work to do with like addressing that side of my lived experience and I'm excited to do it and I feel like it doesn't have to be a shame fest and you don't have to be ashamed of yourself um and you can just use what you know to help dismantle the horrible systems that make these divides between people so to answer your question that has been a moment recently where i'm like yeah i'm awoken from this coma of like whiteness or or like non-whiteness or whatever the hell that is it's like yeah moving forward acknowledging like varying conflicting realities has actually been really healthy for me and i'm excited to keep doing it that's the show thank you so much for listening thank you to bianca please get that book see you soon written by Miriam kaba illustrated by bianca comes out march 1st on haymarket books you know we love haymarket books and it seems like it's an amazing project so check that out also go to the patreon it's linked in the show notes go to bianca's stuff linked in the show notes subscribe review the show and until next week remember you are a mist Only human and human beings they do.